You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. There you'll find episode guides, as well as additional reading, more exclusive content, tons of great stuff. And never miss an update, an album review, interview, etc. by subscribing to the free newsletter, howtostand.substack.com. You could also become a paying subscriber on Substack, and that means you're supporting an independent creator and become part of a community, howtostand.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hello everybody! Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop in a very special series of episodes. All week long, I will be diving into a ton of movie references in K-pop songs and music videos. Movies that have inspired K-pop stars or are rumored to have inspired them. All things the K-pop cinema connection. Without further ado, let's dive right into it. A listener note for today's episode. This is a PG-13 episode. Thelma and Louise. This is a classic road trip movie from 1991. Now, as always with film critics, people commenting on movies, there's some debate about how much it's truly like a feminist story, or if it's really not the story people think it is because they do act ditzy and lean into other stereotypes. So it's kind of a mixed bag. It was precedent setting, though. Thelma and Louise want to just shake up their drab lives in Arkansas and take a trip to the Grand Canyon. Their husbands sound like they really are just super annoying and not there for them, so they need a girl's trip. During the trip, they stop at this bar. Thelma dances with this guy who later assaults her, causing Louise to go defend her friend and threaten to kill him. Then he yells insult at them, and then she does kill him. She acts on her threat. Since one of them just committed murder, they decide to flee to Mexico. They don't take a route they could through Texas because Louise insists that state triggers really bad memories for her that she doesn't want to get into, but she just can't drive through there. Later, actually, she's asked if it's someone else assault her there, and she doesn't answer. So the non-answer kind of answers for you. That's how the story kind of hits people in a certain way, I think, that her best friend at least was looking out for her, willing to stand by her even after a murder. A way to exaggerate for movie's sake, the bond formed between people after some sort of trauma. Just one of my takes on it. Thelma spends the night with this guy, JD. Then, too late, learns that he is a thief and parole violator, and stole all of her best friend's money. But I'm sorry, I love this. Using JD's tips about how to rob a store, Thelma robs it, so She basically gets money back to make up for what JD stole by using the hacks JD taught her. At this point, people know about them. Cops are on their tail. Someone does recognize their vehicle, and the state troopers come over. At first, actually, Thelma and Louise seem to have the upper hand. The state trooper pulls them over for speeding, so Thelma holds a gun up to him, then puts him in the trunk of his own car. Then this other truck driver makes rude gestures at them, and when he doesn't apologize, they shoot his fuel tanker and leave him in the wake of an explosion. Authorities finally nab them when they're close to the edge of the Grand Canyon, when they have a choice to make. Go over the edge together, holding hands, or spend life in prison. They choose to go over, and that's where the movie ends. This scene is recreated in TXT's video for Loser Equals Lover. Yeonjun also seems to kind of slouch and hide from the feds as they drive by. It seems like they're running away from maybe a bank robbery, who knows. And at the end, they all agree to go off the cliff. And it's also interestingly relevant because the song's about how money shouldn't buy happiness, but in this society, it kind of needs to. 
It really helps. And then there are the lyrics, On the edge of a cliff, your light leads me, making me a winner. Out of all the movies I've prepared notes on for this whole project, this may be one of my least favorite. Kill Your Darlings. It is not a two in a scene in B2B for use video for Show Your Love. This is sure a way to show your love. Kill Your Darlings is this biographical drama from 2013. It's about the beatnik generation, the beat generation, a look at countercultures, anti-establishment beliefs, anti-mainstream beliefs, pro-experimentation with drugs and stuff, kind of a hippie movement before the hippies, the beat poets of the 40s and 50s, those who were disillusioned with society post-depression and war, and that's why they were called the beat generation, beaten down, they thought, by the system. Actually, the movie's not good for a history lesson. In addition to a bunch of other issues I have with the movie, it's quite historically inaccurate too, but anyway. This guy, Allen Ginsberg, attends Columbia University. He develops this relationship and starts to have feelings for Lucian Carr. He finds out Carr is only staying at the school because he gets this guy, David, to write his papers for him. And it's really predatory, that relationship between this older guy, David, writing papers for this student who relies on him. It's blackmail for his silence, basically, about what they're doing. Ginsburg falls into the wrong crowd, gets into drugs and drinking, and eventually Carr is reciprocating Ginsburg's feelings for him and has him write his papers instead. So David's super scorned and actually tries to put a cat in the oven. The cat does get rescued before dying, though, but jeez. After a fight in which David ends up dead, Carr gets arrested. Ginsburg writes his term paper about what happened the night of the death, calling it the night in question and knowingly embellishing certain bits. Carr begs Ginsburg to not do this. Don't turn in that story as your final paper, but he does anyway. Carr goes on trial for murder, argues that it was in self-defense. He's not convicted of murder, but he does get a short sentence for manslaughter. Ginsburg, I guess, made the right choice, at least grade-wise, because he gets a copy of his paperback in the mail from a professor who encourages him. Keep it up, you're a good writer. He actually continued to be too, I guess, anti-establishment for the school's liking, and did get expelled, though. So in the end, someone's dead, someone's expelled, someone's charged with manslaughter, no one really wins. And I just feel like there are much better ways to talk about a literary and cultural movement than to do so with all this context. Okay, I'm sorry, we're still gonna be a bit dark here for just a few more movies. This one, honestly, I didn't know much about before prepping for these episodes. I really assumed it was light and fluffy. Breakfast at Tiffany's is not what you think it is. This is nodded to an AOA's video for Get Out, as well as just I mean, that Audrey Hepburn outfit with the gloves and the pearls and the updo, super iconic. I'm sure it's been recreated in countless other music videos. Breakfast at Tiffany's, again on its surface, seems really light and fun. A rom-com adapted from a 1950s novella about a girl who falls in love with a writer. Nope. Every week, Audrey Hepburn's character, Holly Golightly, visits this girl, Sally Tomato, at Sing Sing Prison. She's getting paid $100 a week to talk to Tomato. Sally Tomato's lawyer is paying her to do this. She's involved in, like, their drug ring. Then there's this guy, Paul, who is a love interest, but he treats this woman terribly. And instead of just calling her by her name, Emily, he calls her 2E. He really kind of dehumanizes her with that, if you ask me. Holly goes on this date 
She tries to escape because it's going awfully, and he's too aggressive and gross. As she tries to leave using the fire escape, she sees Paul and 2E saying goodbye to each other. Holly goes to talk to Paul, say hey what's going on. She finds out he hasn't written anything that's been published in five years. He's really a struggling writer. At this party, Holly invites him to. Paul meets her agent and finds out about her past. She was a very different person, pre-Hollywood fame, pre-socialite status. 2E visits Paul, saying she's worried and thinks she's being followed, and he promises to investigate. So Paul confronts Holly's husband, yes, she's having an affair, Doc about this. And during that convo between Paul and Doc, he finds out Holly's real name is Lula Mae Barnes. And she married Doc when she was just shy of 14 years old. Holly says, well, I got an annulment. Doesn't tell him she's not going to Texas with him until her and Doc are at the bus station. When drunk, Holly tells Paul she wants to marry this other guy for his money. Paul's luck is turning around and he's still drawn to Holly and runs to tell her the good news when his luck is turning around finally. One of his short stories is now going to be published. But on the way to her place to share the news, he sees headlines in the paper about this guy she wanted to marry just recently getting married to someone else. Holly and Paul spend the day together, but instead of spending that day gaining appreciation for Doc's presence in her life and apologizing for wanting to run off and marry someone else for money, she does it again and wants to marry this other guy for money. After the special day where Paul even gets her a ring engraved at Tiffany's. It's only after all this has happened, and the ring is engraved and everything, that Paul officially says it's over with 2E. So she's not just kicked out, she's done with the relationship. Holly plans to marry this guy for money, flies to Brazil for it, but is stopped before she can do that. By authorities and is arrested for being affiliated with that drug ring. Paul picks Holly up from the jail and brings their pet with, just named Cat, and a letter from this guy in Brazil calling their relationship quits. Does she use this as a moment to say, wow, once again, Paul's there for me when the others weren't. I should be more grateful to him, or at least less brushing him aside for other people. She insists she still wants to go to Brazil, and she throws their cat out of the vehicle. Paul tells her, you've got some soul searching, throws the engraved ring back at her, and runs out of the cab to go find the cat. As Hollywood stories tend to go, Holly all of a sudden has that soul searching moment dawn on her and she abruptly gets out of the cab to follow Paul and Cat. She finds them in an alley. He did find the cat. Cat's okay. And the three of them hug. Did she learn a lesson about gratitude? Probably not. It's really something else, that movie. Also, it's really yikes because Nikki Rooney wears these facial prosthetics to quote-unquote look Japanese. So yeah, I wouldn't see that. Instead, I would see Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Next up is Scarface. The protagonist of this movie from 1983, Tony Montana, which August D. has a whole song about. Super long story made ridiculously short. A tattoo in its affiliations causes Tony Montana to be denied a green card upon arrival to Miami. They are then sent to what's called, ironically, Freedom Town for other refugees who don't have and can't get green cards. Tony ends up stabbing someone during a riot at the camp yet somehow gets released with a green card at some point, then gets a job as a dishwasher, but is also involved in the world of drugs still. He's about to be killed, but then is rescued. He's offered a deal with a detective, give them intel in exchange for lack of criminal punishment and some security. 
avoids murder again, starts living lavishly in this big mansion, takes over a business empire. He then gets recruited to take out this activist in Bolivia. He then gets cold feet because innocent women and children are entering the targeted vehicle, so he wants to call the mission off, but Alberto, the other guy there, says no, we gotta do this anyway, even if innocent people are killed. So Tony kills him. There's the famous say hello to my little friend line. Tony ends up dying. It's a long story. And behind him is a sign saying, the world is yours. A globe says that on it. So living the fancy life was not all it's cracked up to be. He also has that moment of a conscience when he wants to call off the bomb, but at the same time, in that moment, he still kills someone. So you could try to read into the meaning of that. But I would argue the most interesting part to read into is when there's a really metaphorical scene where a bunch of assassins are sent to Tony's mansion, and they start killing all the guards. But during this deadly brawl, Tony just chills in his office, doing drugs. The wealthy guy just kind of sits back and lets others take the fall for him. This attitude is what the Saw and Tony Montana kind of channels, with lyrics like, more wealth, bigger honor, but I hope I don't become the monster chasing only money. Money on my mind. Screw the system. Obviously those hopes were not lived up to, to not become corrupted by wealth and power. You could say that was actually happening in Scarface, The World is Yours, a name of a video game from 2006, where Tony in that version actually kills this other guy and escapes. And he just has to enter a life of hiding. So he no longer has his riches or wealthy status. But August D rapping about status symbols, money and fame, and the emptiness that he knows underlies that stuff deep down, it's kind of what the song's all about. So he's basically Tony Montana the song is like if Tony Montana the character actually bothered trying to be introspective and make something more meaningful out of his life while he had it. It's also a potential Scarface nod when August D has the scar on his face in the Dechita video. Lastly, what is considered a classic British drama from 1996, Train Spotting. A scene referenced in B2B for You's video for Show Your Love. Long story short, it's about a group of people in a lower class area who are heroin addicts. They are dealing with poverty as well as addiction, withdrawal issues, overdoses, and being toxic friends for each other because they're feeding each other's addiction. It was actually initially pitched as the British Pulp Fiction. The title comes from a scene where this drunk man walks up to two of the characters, in the book at least, and is like, are you guys train spotting? It really doesn't seem to end with tons of redemption. They steal money and venture off to the next unknown adventure in their lives after arrests, funerals, all sorts of other moments that should have been the final rock bottom. What it really seems to be about is a bit of the reason people love Euphoria, because it's really about the feel and the mood of the movie more than the plot. People are fascinated by the visual, the aesthetic components of it. The Britpop soundtrack became basically as popular as the movie itself, Locations, camera work, the overall aesthetics are what people are really drawn to. And then the music adds, it all compounds to a certain mood that makes for an immersive viewing experience. I think the main takeaway could be that the main group of characters in Train Spotting were not doing well, but they probably would have all been dead by the end if it weren't for each other to lean on. So as much as they were toxic, the point was to reach out and ask for help, which is what the song Show Your Love by B2B For You is about about why is the world more hurtful and beautiful. Many people fall, many tears overflow. 
We need to support each other. There's no bigger power than love. Say your love, so the love spreads more. Light up the darkness, I'll be your light. Doesn't mean you're weak. The flowers of laughter that will bloom in the world again. Don't give up even if you're dealing with some really intense mental demons. Love can and will envelope you. How's that for a much lighter note to leave things off on today? <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, and I will see you all next time for more movie talk. Bye everyone!